We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Marcus Freeman started off the press conference having to address the Matt Bayless situation. Matt Bayless called him Sunday and told him, hey, for personal reasons that's best for me and my family, I've decided to move on. Marcus Freeman in the press conference said it was a shock to him. He didn't see it coming. But then as he began to talk about it, he said he sat with Matt and he told him early in the offseason that he wanted to make changes to the strength and conditioning program, using more information, using more analytics. So basically, and John Wagner is the main guy I know today that deals with all that GPS, following the speeds, following all the integral medical stuff that could give more information, that could implement you know, things that might increase weight gain and overall performance. Look, Marcus, let, 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 let me, let you, this is my bullet point right here, fellas. Marcus Freeman came into this year hell-bent on making this his program. All that bull he dealt with last year with, you know, the, uh, the assist, the head coach of the offense, and all of that stuff, right? Harry, he stand being tied into Tommy. And as soon as Tommy bounces, Harry's ready to go. Al go. Marcus Freeman is letting people know this. Hey, this is what I want. And if we can rock with it, you can rock with it. He had a conversation with Matt Bayless. Matt Bayless tried to deal with it. And I understand Matt Bayless. Has a what when you're a strength and conditioning coach, this is something to understand just from having personal trainers. Personal trainers have their way of doing things, man. They have similar information, but they have similar, they have different methodologies about how they want to go about it. That's on a smaller scale. You know, once you get to college, it's the same thing. You have good strength and conditioning coaches that disagree on certain methods. But they're all great at what they do. And I think at this point, since being there since 2017, Matt Bayless just felt like whatever you're asking me to do would be too much of a change from who I am. 
to continue to do so because I wouldn't be happy doing it, and I don't think I could service the kids mm-hmm. unless I'm 100% bought in. I respect that. I actually respect that. I respect that. He, too. Just, he just stick around and, you know, cause a problem. He got the kids to fall camp, giving Notre Dame time to go and find a new strength and conditioning coach throughout the season to come in, settle in, and be ready for the offseason next year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. But Marcus Freeman, for some reason, like, I was shocked. No, my brother, you're not shocked. You know when you sit somebody down and you ask them to go beyond or to change who they are or to change their program, you know there's a possibility they might say no. You know know. when you sat in that room with Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner, you knew it was a possibility they would transfer when you were telling them, I'm going to get a quarterback. You knew what was up. So this isn't, in my opinion, this isn't something that just popped up on Marcus Freeman. Maybe 
Because he wait, he waited right before camp. Maybe that was the shocking thing. Like, oh snap. But the fact that it happened after what he was trying to implement, I don't think it caught him off guard at all. And he kind of mentioned that when he said, Man, I always have a contingency. So yeah, I had a contingency, you know, if the, if this call did happen. But I thought it was very interesting that he said, and also I think he started. If I'm not mistaken, somewhere in there, he said before they started practice, he actually talked to the team about it because he understood how important Matt Bayless had been to the young men on their roster and their development. So he felt like I had to tell the team and talk to the team about how things went down. So Malik, you had something to say about that as well. And then JJ, I want to know from a defensive line standpoint, It, is there a hierarchy where strength and conditioning means more from a position standpoint, or is it just important to the entire I know it's important to the entire team, but is it even more important, especially in season when you're talking about defensive linemen, uh, staying, keeping your strength, you know, monitoring your reps, getting your nutrition, doing what you have to do. I really want you to break that down and talk about it. But left, you start us off with, you know, what you heard about the Matt Bayless situation. Yeah, I mean, um, I think if anything, Marcus Freeman having a plan or a contingency in the in the fact that uh if Bayless chose to do that is is cool with me because as long as you got a plan, it's fine. Uh it shows that Marcus Freeman is really headstrong on making this his program the way he wants to do it. And honestly, in a position like this as a first-year head coach at a program like Notre Dame, the last thing you want to do if leaving out of this program is say, oh, I wish I could have did this different. I wish I could have did this different. Yeah. I think for him to be able to, in the first two years, clean house in a way where some was by choice and some was – uh, surprising in the uh, the timing of it, I think it all coincided the right way because he knew what he wanted to achieve going into it. He wasn't kind of where Brian Kelly, five six years in, is like revamping it. Marcus Freeman is re is installing his whole new thing. You know, it's different than just letting go of all your coaches. He's you know, creating a, a plan that's deeper than a year-to-year basis. And I think him uh, being so on it to where you're telling guys in season that you're going to get other guys in the portal before the year's over is a guy that's very serious about at least leaving his imprint. And you can't blame a guy for that. At least he's going out swinging. Uh, but on the other side of it, you can see that is a reason why he's hell bent on making it everything that he's envisioning because it could work. And if he builds the thing that uh, he's been making all these moves that, you know, in a lot of ways we aren't very comfortable as a fan base with yet because we're so used to the, the nonchalant lackadaisical approach before, you know, coaches coming in and out, it's no big deal. You know, we'll, recruiting effort is not, as intense because we're Notre Dame, you know, we don't get guys it's because they're not smart enough or they, you know, whatever. Now Marcus Freeman is trying to get those dudes that we say we couldn't get, 
trying to get the right people in that is holding us back. And he's facing obstacles that are revealing themselves. I mean, hell, he tried to go get coaches uh, across the country and was open about it. We get them in the building and somehow they just don't come. Nobody got an answer for it. So that's that's not Marcus Freeman's fault. That's exposing the, the nonchalantness and uh, the, the, the underhandedness of what it's like being a coach at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman just trying to do his job. So yeah. I think at the end of the day, uh, something's going to have to happen. Either we're going to bend towards the way of what Marcus Freeman is trying to build or we're going to keep having these obstacles that's jumping in his way. I mean, it's year two, and he's got more storylines than Real Housewives of Atlanta. So I think for him to even get his feet under him is going to be a total cooperation, hopefully, with Pete Provacqua, uh, the new AD. They can be bud, they can be buds or something, you know, a Dr. Dre 50 Cent relationship or something. They can make some money, you know, do their thing, maybe get a, a payroll deal. Who knows? So we'll see what happens with that. I wonder if Sean's still around. Yeah, nah. I, I'm here. I was waiting for JJ to jump in. Yeah, no, nah, I actually agree with you. Um, just because, like, even like when Coach Kelly like initially left, like, you know, there was just like that shock about it. But like, when you find out like the reasons as to why he left, and like, you know, the the obstacles that he was really facing at Notre Dame, because like again. Stuff because, like, you know, we have faces like Byron Leftwich coming as an OC, and you know, they 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 express that they have interest, and then all of a sudden they come for a visit, and you're expecting that ink to be on paper, and then all of a sudden it's not. And you find out it's because of the university's unwillingness to actually want to pay a top notch coordinator. So, like, you know, I when you hear about stuff like that, I actually started to understand. And again, I'm not saying I'm not against Coach Kelly in no way or nothing like that. But initially, I was I was a little frustrated that he left because you know, like, because because for me, you know, me and Coach Kelly might have had our differences, but like, you know, that was Notre Dame as I knew it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, knowing that that was changing just because he just wanted to up and leave, you know, it kind it kind of. You kind you kind of take like a personal stance towards it because you know like you went like I went there I worked my behind off to help try to build that culture to where it is now and you know I'm not saying and, and you know me and, and like you know we shared that bond with our teammates and stuff and then like you know you see stuff like that that you don't even know about as like while you're a player there that you know like university is not trying to pay pay players or. I mean, university university is against actually players getting paid, and also you know they're not trying to play, pay top notch coordinators. You know they kind of are trying to have it to where you know we still have the traditionalistic ideas of Notre Dame football, rather than you know try to stay up to speed with all these schools that's kind of like ahead of us at this point. You know that's why they get in the five star recruits because they have the better coaches and they have the better funding and they have the better money a lot man. and even though we create all this revenue for the school and they don't want to put it back into what's bringing them so much revenue that's very frustrating i i i got it i got to side with the coaches on with the head coaches coach kelly and coach freeman that's super frustrating because like how can y'all expect us to bring in all this revenue 
and y'all want us to be a top-notch, top-tier program, but y'all don't want to put the money towards it and put the investments towards it. So, like, I agree. Now, in terms of, like, uh, how important is the strength and conditioning to D Lyman, I want to say is probably the most important because I feel like the weight room and the in the way that <coughs> Alice was utilizing the weight room and the way he was teaching the weight room was creating a relentless explosiveness to the D line. I feel like that's why we've had so much production in the past few years. Thinking about guys like Isaiah Foskey, he, he broke the sack record, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, again, I feel like it was just off of guys like, I feel like a, a, per, a person like Coach Bayless played a really big part in his success and how he panned out at Notre Dame. Think of guys like Riley Mills. Um, who else can I? Who, who else can I talk about that? Um, the Amendola twins. I mean, dude, you can go back anybody, anybody that developed under Elston from 2017. That's in the league. Mm-hmm. Yo, Matt Bayless was. They most of them came in as smaller defensive linemen. Yeah, Ro, uh, Ro, well, Romeo Julian. was before him, but Julian, yeah. Julian, small defense. Like, like, like he, he, like when Julian came in as a freshman, he was built like a you like a receiver, like, like Tobias Merriweather. Yeah, maybe not Teske. And and he was probably the most explosive player in college football. Yeah, his, his last year. You know what I'm saying? So like. I feel like a guy like Bayless, that, that's what a guy like Bayless brings out of kids. And, you know, that's why I didn't know what happened to that will, that led him to – this is my first time hearing about it. But, like, you know, just because of the, who Bayless was and what, what Notre Dame was before he got there and what he brought it to, that's why I was so heartbroken by it. So, like, you know, like, well, like hey, I, I, I understand. I, I don't I, – if I was a guy like Bayless, I'm not going to change who I am. JJ, let me ask you a question because you touched on something when you talked about the both of the head coaches. Mm-hmm. With Baylor's being there from 2017, and honestly, you talked about all of the programs in Notre Dame are chasing. All of them have Taj Mahal's when it comes to athletic facilities. Exactly. In, in comparison to Notre Dame, like Georgia, Alabama, Ohio, oh, I do. Former Notre Dame players. Say they take their kids to Ohio State, and it's like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but our weight room. But, wait room but this is my this is my point. We always had a great weight room. Our weight room is nice. I don't. That's, like, what and that's mean? and that's um, that's not my, that's not my point. Yeah, you can have great and still get better. Yeah, and if what you're asking for year after year is a pull. In a tub just to get it. When the strength and conditioning coach at this pro is getting whatever he wants mm-hmm. added on an annual basis, that has to wear on you as well as the strength and conditioning coach. It's like, okay, coach, you want me to implement all this stuff, but hey, it's a tug and pull just to get certain equipment that will make it easier for me to implement stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I can do what I can do for these kids with what I have. 
Because what we have is top of the line. Yeah. But you're asking me to go up against these dudes at Georgia. You're asking me to go up against these SEC dudes. And then when I lose, I'm getting called a bad coach. Right. And that I'm getting called incredibly inferior. So, yeah, I I respect Coach Kelly for making that move. Because now they, they don't see him as inferior to Nick Saban and guys like Kirby Smart anymore. I mean, obviously, even though they lost to LSU, I mean, they lost to Georgia, but, like, he's now on that same pedestal as them in terms of, like, you know, even the hypeness going into this next year. The SEC with is literally Coach Smart, Coach Saban, yeah. and then <clears throat> after that, you got to put Coach Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He, he – he, Obviously, Coach Martin and Coach Saban are tier one coaches. If if you're not going to put Kelly tier one, you got to put him high tier two for sure. You can't put him any lower than that. Just off of his resume and track record. And, you know, even with the obstacles that he faced at Notre Dame and with these obstacles coming out into the public eye, you got to respect him even more. You have to. And and with the success that he had his first year at LSU, again, you got to respect it. He's doing it with the same coaches that he's always had. I mean, he he got some new, but like Dembrock's been working with him since Cincinnati, probably Grand Valley. Yeah. Like like he, Coach Kelly ain't really changing who he is. He just took it to he just took it to a place where he doesn't face many obstacles from his own university. Well, a hundred million to change a man's mind too. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Facts. So I want to give you some numbers of the weight gains since we're talking about Matt Bayless. These are the official weights going into camp. Yeah. And I'm going to give you the defensive line. I'll, I'll run down a few guys. Uh, Jordan Botello. Botello. Uh, came in at 6'4". Well, no, I lost. I just lost his. Uh... Oh, there it is. 6'2 and a half, 264. 6'2 mm. and a half, 264. Uh, let's see. Nana Otafa Mensa. He's 6'3, 264. And it's pretty much been in that same range for about. Two, two, three years now. Donovan Heinrich in his second year, 6'1", at defensive tackle, 280. Yeah, he got to get bigger. Yeah, Kobe and Muku, sophomore, 6'4", 265. Jason Onye, 6'4 and a half, 294. Bubakar Traore, incoming freshman, 6'4", 237. Howard Cross, 6'1", 288. And this is now nose guard? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Aiden Keeney. Uh, you know how. Keeney is 6'3", 309. Armel Bookham, freshman, 6'4", 280. Tyson Ford, defensive end, 6'4", 274. Gabriel Rubio, 6'5", 306. And then Devin Houston, the incoming freshman at D tackle, 6'4, 292. 
Now, do you know how badass you got to be to be 286 playing nose guard? <laughs> and that's the Nick. He makes so many impactful plays, bro, but he wears down as the game goes on. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that. I, I, I did notice that last year. How do? And Jacob Lacey was the same way before he transferred. Mm-hmm. Those two, they man, they got into the backfield, made plays. But then, what we what do we talk about left in the fourth, third, fourth quarter? How teams would just end up running the ball on Notre Dame mm-hmm. in big time situation? Isn't like the depth? They didn't have the depth behind them. Yeah. What makes it so hard, Jerome, being underweight playing Notre? Yeah, is that is that recruitment? Is that Notre Dame having this recruitment? Saying okay, we can't get the big guys from down south that are naturally big, so let's just go get these 250, 260 kids and try to add weight. I mean, no, for some reason, I think, I think it. I think it's it really ultimately comes down to scheme and what the D coordinator wants. Mm. Uh, um, we move the line a lot. Exactly. So you want you want smaller, quicker, twitchier guys. You know, think about like you know, you got guys like Dexter Lawrence that can play, you know, one and three tag, can play right over to the center, but can also play one and three. But then you got guys that can do the same thing that are the same size as Jake, Grady Jarrett. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Just because, you know, they move their line, they do a lot of stunts, they do a lot of, you know, pirates and stuff like that. So, yeah. again, like, it, it really depends on what the D coordinator wants. Because um, I remember, like, you know, when we when we had the Diaco, like, all I know – Big dude. Was, Lewis Nix. So, right. So, yeah. I, that, that, uh, that makes perfect sense now what you're saying. Because those two or three years, they went from, yo, Big Lou, Stefan. Hey, even Aaron Lynch was a big dude as, as a defensive end. But, yeah, he was he, he was technically our sandbacker. Right. <laughs> Which is crazy. Yeah. So, and then they get you. And I think right after you, they ended up getting, what, was that Shell? Now me 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 and Sheldon came in together, and then right. the year after that was Isaac. I want to say yeah, Isaac. Isaac, Isaac, Isaac still him. Isaac still playing in the league, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he he's with he's with the uh, Vegas Raiders. Yeah, uh, year six. That's because he's social media star now. So they social got media star <laughs> around media. And most of you guys didn't come. From Aaron was Aaron Lynch. No, Aaron Lynch and he was, Big, he was uh, the year before me. If Aaron Lynch Big and Big Sexy were the two dudes from the South, right? Big Sexy, yeah. No, yeah. Steph Stephon was from Georgia too. Stephon was from Georgia. Lewis was from Florida. But a lot of you guys were from the Northeast too, because Eshack was from the Northeast. Yeah, it was just me, Eshack, and um, I mean Sheldon was from the Midwest. Right. Uh, Connor was from Hawaii. Uh, who else do we have? Tony Springman was from where was Springman? Pittsburgh. Or He's from Pittsburgh, yeah. Pennsylvania. Springman's not from Pittsburgh. I think so. Let me let me check. Council was from North Carolina. Council was from North Carolina. Spawn was from Colorado. Jerry uh, was from Ohio. Jared Grace. Yeah. Calabrese. I think. I think, I think no, I think Tony. Tony Springman was local. He was from Fort Wayne. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I I was about to say he wasn't from Pittsburgh. I, I I feel like the only person that came from Pittsburgh at the time was Koyak. Koyak, yeah. yeah. True, yeah. 
Dang. Then we, yeah, then you had dudes like Troy Nicholas from Arizona. What well, where was Troy from? Troy was from California. He went to Cali. Six six eight, playing tight end. Yeah, he was a big dude. And two eighty. Two eighty playing tight end. Yeah. He was huge. So moving just, forward, we just had a bigger. We just had a bigger, a bigger group. Yeah. Because of just like the, because again, our offense was more pro style. Yeah. And our defense was a 3-4. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So our, our, our linebackers, so our outside linebackers were DNs, technically. Our inside linebackers were beefy, but then we had really athletic secondary guys. Even, like even yeah, yeah, even even and they were longer guys too, because they they had they had good range. But even like, you know, a guy a, a guy like Shimbo, Shimbo might have been like, you know, a linebacker one, but he but he might have been like probably 250, 260, but he was solid muscle. Yeah. And, and, and literally, Shimbo was like one of those dudes that you played against in high school that played nose garden that you could not move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had to play all the crazy positions. All the crazy nice. positions that you got to be, <laughs> that you got to have a different mindset for. Yeah. Like, like Shimbo was like that playing. He's DM. super underweight, but playing the, the beefiest position and going crazy. The beefiest right? positions. Yeah. And like going that. against the biggest of the dudes. Yeah, going crazy, man. That's and going crazy. I want to say the year we went to the national championship. I want to say Shimbo led us in sacks. Shimbo or Stefan, one of one of the two. If, hmm. if, if, if Stefan led, Shimbo was right behind him. Yeah, Shimbo was nice, man. He was first, second round until he got in trouble. Yeah, well, so, yeah, yeah. So like, I feel like it was just. I feel like it's just like again, depending on what what kind of system that we're running. Because you know, obviously, like coaches has like their body types that they that they look for in guys that, that plays into recruiting and stuff like that. It's it's a lot. So dig a little more into what you've seen. That because you open my eyes. Mm-hmm. It really is about the defensive coordinator, what he wants, and how that dictates. Because left, what did I say? What did I say? I said when it came to the recruitment of Justin Scott, the math was not mapping. Right. And I said everybody in that building does not have the same energy towards him. Mm-hmm. I said you can tell that there is not a concerted effort like, oh, we need this dude. Yeah. Seven, 70 miles from this, this campus. And when you talk about the D, the defensive coordinator and what he wants, and you look at the weights of the D lineman, it's like, okay, what exactly do you want this interior defensive line to do? You got a you have a bunch of two eighty dudes. Your biggest dudes are barely three hundred and six pounds, and those are your big dudes. Well, in first, your, in your opinion, like what is what is the scheme, or what have you seen? Again, again, a lot more movement along the front. Even think about, like, even think about the comparison again, like even to a, a team like a Tampa Bay to Carolina or the Falcons or something like that. You know, you got guys like Grady Jared in the inside. You know, they do a lot more stunts and stuff like that, where they're right. not just shooting, they're not just shooting straight ahead. They're probably going across the center's face, or they're running they're running a lot more games. Where as opposed to Tampa, 
you got faster rushes on the outside. You got smaller, faster rushes on the outside, but then you got big dudes that are immovable, tar- immovable dudes like Vita Vey that you can't move. And again, mm-hmm. they, they, they do run a couple stunts, but they don't run as many as Atlanta. Atlanta runs a lot. You know what I'm saying? So now, now in terms of you, we talked about Justin Scott and the, the, the Notre Dame recruitment process. Did Notre Dame recruit you as if you felt like you was a five star coming to Notre Dame? Was it like a overwhelming, oh, we need Jerron day one? Or was it like you kind of understood the value that Notre Dame had? Yeah, and and the thing with Notre Dame when they recruited me was they said that I could pretty much play anywhere along the, the defensive front because they just thought I was so versatile. They thought, like every other team, and I wish I would listen back then, they thought, every like everybody else, I was off in style. But, <laughs> yeah, you ass should have went where he stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know. No, but, was it, but, you know, nowadays, obviously – these kids, you know, in the recruitment process, especially if you're an elite player like you were, want to be courted a certain way. Did you feel like you was courted by Notre Dame uh, as you were courted by maybe other schools that weren't like Notre Dame, but still the same value? You know? No, I wasn't, but I was I was okay with that. Like, See, I a lot of kids aren't, though, and that's yeah. why we don't be getting the five. You know, yeah, nah, I, I was I was never. we lost oh man jerome was giving us good stuff too yeah that's right um, I'm hello can, can yeah, we, got you. we got you. oh okay yeah so like you know like i i, I was courted at uh, like you know syracuse they was rolling out the red carpet for me but you know at notre dame like i've never seen no player ever get courted like how jalen smith got courted Exactly. Jalen Smith mm-hmm. was court. Jalen Smith was field side, like as if he was an alumni that you know, yeah. like like you know how like we go back to the games. Jalen Smith was there like every game. He the man. <laughs> he was the man. Yeah. yeah. But also, <laughs> but also, one thing about Jalen compared to everybody else, Jalen actually came up and actually lived up to the hype. Yeah. Being being that courted, so like you know, like me, I. I, I was okay with it because also I didn't want that much expectation on myself. You know what I'm saying? I, I just wanted See, that's to go. Real honest, bro. Yeah. I, t- t- for real, because like I, I know how much pressure that can be. Because I, I knew how much pressure I was feeling just by just saying I committed to Notre Dame. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? How much pressure just comes with that? But then, but then, but let but be a, a Notre Dame commit, but also be Notre Dame's best commit. And you know they comparing you to sports like Manti Teo and like that. That's a different ball game, and that's a different world. So like that's the world that I don't necessarily want to be in because I don't. I don't I, I I can yeah, I can barely handle the pressure I, I I handle now. That pressure is just a whole different type of pressure, and I'm okay with it. But hey, I I really appreciate y'all having me. I, oh, I appreciate yeah. y'all having me because I gotta go. I gotta go because uh, you know I'm a high school coach, so I, my kids got lift and we got a little scrimmage. Hey, afterwards. that's crazy because I'm working on my script. You're right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. Okay, man. Go win your championship, man. Shout out to you, Jake. Yeah, but man. no, JJ, we appreciate you. We appreciate the insight on strength and conditioning, the importance to the defensive line, and you know 
the correlation to what we've seen from a recruiting standpoint of the D-line and how yeah, it's connected I, to the coaching. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to come on here, man. You know, I, and I also admire the success y'all doing. I, I, you know, I'm always a, a loyal fan. Whenever y'all ask me to come on, I'm always, I'm always around. So I always appreciate y'all, man. Good luck to you and your kids, man, during the season. And uh, if I'm if I'm ever in the Buffalo area, I don't, I'm trying to think: is there a reason why? I mean, if I if I get to uh, New York, I'll, I'll hit you find, up. A lot of people find themselves up here, and if you ever up here, hey, I'm around. Yeah, we got to find those uh, ten you should, wings. You should be on a team somewhere. What are you talking about? I know, but hey, I, I I can't. I'm not these NFL scouts, and I I don't control that. I can only handle what I can control right now. Facts. And, you know, I'm hell, I'm, only, do, I'm, I'm only I'm only gonna play for the team that wants that wants to have me. So man, hell, they I'm, doing I'll, Zach Martin I'll, wrong. I know the O line market messed up. Yo, you know that cat Zach has to pay fifty stacks a day that he misses, bro. That ain't nothing to him. He made he made almost a hundred mil. It's, it's nothing to him because Jerry's gonna give him his money. Yeah, Jerry's gonna give him his money too. And, yeah. and 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 this is another thing. I actually learned this because again, with, with all these coaches and you because of the football community being so small, you always learn about just how things work. So like a lot of times when like you know, a lot of those guys when they hold out and you know, whenever they come to some sort of agreement and you know, obviously they get fined and all that, but a lot of times they, they negotiate those fines. Like, I want to say, like, there was a time – I forgot who it was. I want to say – I can't think of it off the top of my – but it was a guy – one of my coaches was telling me it was a guy who held out from all training camp and came – and they finally gave him his contract. And they negotiated he, – he probably would have paid – he was supposed to pay, like, $950,000 in fines. Ooh. And they pretty much after they got after they got the deal done – they negotiated to him only paying like fifty grand. You know what I'm saying? Because again, because again, team issues those fines. So like, you know, they they can they can bend their rules. So it's a lot that goes into it. It's just like again, it, it is the, the the league works in a completely different way where a lot of people just don't understand it. There's even times where I don't understand it. That's right. And you know, again, I'm not those dudes that work behind them closed doors figuring out what players they want, what players they want to bring in. And you know I'm not going to stress myself about out about it either. So if they don't, if no 32 teams, because I know for a fact there's not 64 tackles out there better than me. And yeah. you know I only been playing the position for six years. But you know I thought about you this morning, bro. I when I saw that when I saw that bum Andrew Thomas get his money for the oh, Giants, boy. I said, I said, oh. Hey, you know how, bro. Hey, you gonna get, hey, you gonna give money to him. Shout out to him, though. Yeah, shout out to the man. Because, like, even man, though, because he, he, he didn't have a good first year, but he's he, he's improved every year after that. So, JJ, so all I'm saying that. is, all I'm saying is, I just hate the fact, knowing the pedigree, I know if you had stayed at tackle, bro, all the way through Notre Dame, oh, bro. You you probably be on your third contract right now, bro. Yeah. Awesome, Chris Jones arguing for thirty million a year. <laughs> that's different. That that that's a. <laughs> I feel like that's a great problem to have. Yeah. Right now, right <laughs> now, for thirty mil. Dude, if I am on a team right now, I'm 
my whole goal is to become the next left tackle for Joe Burrow or Pat. No, just let me be like a middle of the road tackle that just happens to become the next right tackle, left tackle for Kansas City. Exactly. Like, dude, if you protect Pat for two years, you're going to get and paid. Roles, you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid. It don't even matter. Yeah. Dude, you're going to get paid. Big money. Yeah. On your, but, at the top of my resume is I protected Pat. That's yeah. it. If you if you let Pat be able to do what he does and you got and your team's successful, you're gonna get paid. Yes. Yeah. That's why that's why that's why, you know, even like that year where Joe Burrow did go to the Super Bowl, they click that, that next year they cleaned out that whole O line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Jerron Jones, as always, thank you for joining the Lucky Ducky Podcast. We love right. you, bro. Appreciate y'all. Thanks, bro. Y'all yep. Once again, former Notre Dame defensive line, Jerron Jones joins us left. We got a little more time, so let's jump into some of the things that Marcus Freeman did say. The one of the things he said during the press conference, man, is that when it comes to – he said we got to get these young players ready to play. Uh, I love – thank yo. Part of the reason he's saying that because he knows that he actually has talented young players now. To say it and you really don't have the confidence in the young players, nah. but now he knows the talent he has and he has put, he's thrown down the gauntlet and put it on the coaches, like get these dudes ready. I'm not putting them on the field until they know what they're doing, but it's your job to make sure that they know what the hell they're doing. Get them ready to play. He said he loved what he saw from his veterans. Day one, everything was smooth, moving forward. Love to hear that. But to hear him talk about getting rid of that old regime of, yo, it is the players that have been here that are going to get the first opportunities. And no, 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 no. The best players need to play, but these young players need to know what the hell they're doing. And that's the job of these coaches. I love hearing that from Marcus Freeman. Yeah, I think it's good coach speak. I think at the same time, you know, it's it's two ways of thinking. How can you learn and then go full speed so i think there's a melting process of or what's more important learning it takes time you have mistakes hesitate football's mm-hmm. not a game you can hesitate so there's the challenge of the balance of where how do you get to learning but playing fast so uh you know i think it is a little confusing mm-hmm. as a player that's eager that doesn't know anything you know you gotta think these guys don't know anything so to be able to uh learn and then learn fast enough to play fast you only play fast when you know something so i think there's a a bridge to cross which we've seen through experience of early on last year guys learning the timing of blitzes and learning the defenses young players with no experience knowing it better going into the next year you see uh how to transition for guys like jake mickey uh guys like xavier watts uh cam hart coming back but also you get when you're able to do it at a young age, you get guys like Ben Morrison, guys that can learn and adapt, but also play fast. And so hopefully Marcus Freeman is trying to use that Ben Morrison formula to affect more of the team to where it's palatable enough for guys to learn it, but it's in-depth to be able to play fast and make plays. I think you're on mute. 
I, I forget the exact number, but he said something like Chris Tyree has put in so much work and caught some like 17, 16, 17, 000. there was some astronomical number, just the number of balls he's caught and the work he's put in. And we talked about him being one of the most important calls for that offense. To, yeah. to, see, to see him, see, that's what we want to hear. That is, you know, he kind of punted when asked about it by the media, like, who's the guy? Like, who's the guy in that wide receiver room? Today, he stepped up and said, yo, Chris Tyree, we, we can hang our hat on Chris Tyree, and this is why. Yeah, 100%. We know that Chris Tyree is going to be a huge factor for us, and he should be because at the end of the day, you're going to have an opportunity with a guy like Chris Tyree to be very versatile and to be a safety blanket for a quarterback for one year that when all else fails, he may not understand the, the play, but he can find Chris Tyree in matchups because that's what the game is about, matchups. We know Chris Tyree is great in space, and for him to be able to develop the ability to run routes and make some even more dangerous when putting him in space versus the matchups he'll face with linebackers and nickel players and, and safeties. The benefit is that he started as a running back, so the one after catch is twice as uh, the benefit is what the run after catch for an outside skill player would be. And so that gives you that extra dynamic of what I believe Kyron Williams did a great job as in, in bits and parts throughout that season being a vital mismatch problem when the team is focusing on the number one receiver or whatever. Kyron on a, a linebacker, or the second string linebacker, or one of the weaker linebackers in space, you know, it, it showed a lot of positive results. So having the effect of Tyree in the middle of the field and then being able to hand him the ball off with just sweeps is even more of a threat than what our traditional tight end and what that carries in the middle of the field. So it's another layer of uh, weaponry for a guy like Sam Hartman to use at his disposal with that experience, but also for a guy like Chris Tyree to change the dynamic of the offense where we seem a lot more uh, volatile and, 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 and a lot more aggressive from a scoring points aspect. When you have a guy like Chris Tyree, it opens up so much more and creates so many more defensive issues. Now you can start to see and highlight the receiver room and, and guys being more open and, and making plays down the field. Something else, the freshman Caleb Smith um, had shoulder surgery. He mentioned that he was the only freshman that did not participate. Um, i like to also point out that it was good to see Eli Rarity in practice. It really was. I, you know, two, two knee injuries, uh, man, full of promise when he came to Notre Dame. We talked about that tight end room and not having a dude for the first time in a long time. We'll see how things progress during the uh, fall for him. We just want health for the young man and the rest of the tight end room left. Let me tell you something. People were talking about Jeremiah Love today like, yo, this dude's speed is different. Like, he just moves different. Like, it's like, oh, Everybody in their reports are like, okay, Jeremiah Love is different. And Marcus Freeman talked about it when he talked about getting people on the field. Like, yeah, that's one thing athletically. And I, I think 
I think I know what he was doing because he was like, yeah, it's one thing to be here in fall camp and see what he can do and see his speed, but we got to get that speed to translate over into gameplay. Comes with knowledge and knowing what you're doing. But I, I'm sure, give me a field full of dudes that look different. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I mean, take that. I'll and, take that. And that's something that has to be another challenge for Jerry Parker and being able to fit a guy like a Chris Tyree, a young guy in the Jeremiah Love where he's not going to demand number one carries just yet, but you can't not put him on the field. And you include that can't not put him on the field factor with two or three bona fide running backs already with a Jadarian, with an Aldrich, with the transfer that state. So now Jeremiah Love, just to get on the field, might have to play another position just to put everybody on the field at one time. It's going to help, especially because he's young. But when you're mentioning players that are coming in that are special talent, on top of the talent that you have that has been the guys for you, it's, it's like having too much of a good thing. And it's something where it has to be a very coordinated effort one problem, uh, one thing that's fixed about it for sure, though, is that you have a veteran quarterback that can handle a lot more than a guy like Steve Angeli who hasn't played yet. So for uh, uh, Jared Parker, man, I mean, he's playing with house money, honestly. Uh, it's, it's mixing matches like Legos, uh, and you keep finding out through these practices, oh, we have another guy, oh, we have another guy, that can, oh, we have another guy, oh, this guy can do that. And at some point, you got to be like, all right, well, hell, we have to have yeah. what's the most effective because our, I like our young guys. Rico Flores will make some plays. Jaden Greyhouse yeah. has been in there. Yeah. And then you got guys like Jabron Payne who's popping out of the spring as a your, leader. Your guy that you said you've been waiting to see, the transfer from Penn State, he got buzzed today. He got buzzed. You got Jadarian Price Ford. trying to pop on the scene. Devin Ford trying to make some plays. Austin – I mean, uh, Audrey Estime is looking like, well, hell, I thought I was still RB1. I might be RB1 with splitting carries four ways mm-hmm. just because everybody else got different things they're really good at. But, hell, I thought we was going to be a passing team. Now that running back room looking like looking around like, hell, there's only one football. And, you know, Dina McCullough has, has done a great job of recruiting clearly. Clearly, we're getting transfers at running back when we had running backs. How that makes sense? We had so many good running backs, we had to tell running backs, you got to play something else. So now you 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 lose a Logan Diggs, you move a Chris Tyree, but then you get a Jabron Payne ready to play, a Devin Ford ready to come in and play and transfer, a Jadarian Price coming back, looking to play some strong minutes, a Jeremiah Love, who you like, damn, I – He's ready right now. Right now. <laughs> That's five right now. guys. That's and five like guys. Bro, let me tell you something. I'll say it again. Give me a feel full of dudes. Give me a feel full of dudes that you like, yo, he moves different. And we haven't even talked it, about it. And we, that hasn't been something that you can say at Notre Dame for a long time. Maybe going back. Yes, going, back going back, I think. The three years leading up to you all in 15, I think that might have been the greatest collection yes. of different dudes at Notre Dame on the field. Like, even when you were youngsters, like, 
13 class to 12 class to 14 class. You guys got banged by USC. And the entire third and fourth quarter was about you and rest in peace to our boy. Greg Bryant. Greg Bryant. Putting on the show. And we're sitting there watching this like, oh, oh, okay. Like, yeah, these two, they different. So, yeah. They different. And we said this yesterday. This is the first that do watching this spring. The one thing that stood out. That's remember I said I wasn't worried about the defensive line. Because I, I said the defensive line has more talent. The defensive line is going to be more athletic than it was. And that was with Isaiah Foskey. And I mean, I mean uh Jason and Justin I Amadeo. Mean, you lose them, the defensive line is still more athletic right now across the board. And then they add Javante, Jean-Baptiste. They're more athletic. Jordan Patello finally becoming who he's – they moved Junior Tulomaka outside. He's falling in love with the position. They're more athletic on the defensive line. But as, Jer- as Jerron Jones pointed out, we have to do something about that interior, bro. And we're trying to move and do a lot of things defensively. And at some point, you just got to be able to line up and handle those dudes in front of you and, and just stop the run. That's right. And when you have teams down south that are able to get guys 300-plus that can do both, which is move, get into the backfield, and be stout against the run, it's, it's – it's, man – it was an uphill battle. Let me something else that he pointed out. Bro, I didn't realize, man, these freshman wide receivers left. These some big jokers. Yeah. All of these dudes are two, two fits, two ten, two oh eight right now. Six three, six four, six two. It's a big jokers left. Yeah, I mean, these kids, I mean, look at Drake Bowen and, and Jaden Osbury. They came ready looking like junior senior linebackers that, that have to play too. Man. So the, 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 the level of skill and the level of size Marcus Freeman is capturing in the recruitment classes year after year is beefing up the team in the right ways. I mean, the year before, you get a Tyson Ford big sell. You get a, a Jalen Snead. You get a Nolan Ziegler. We we ain't even talking about that. He's long. He's huge. Yes. You know, I mean, he's not no little little guy. I mean, the days of having the Joe Schmitz and the short arm, short leg linebackers are over. Hell, you drop Xavier Watts down in there. He looked like a linebacker sometimes. Yo, I was shocked that Ramon Henderson is still like 196 pounds. He's a small dude. Yeah, you know, and say, that's that's definitely uh one of those picks where Notre Dame does these weird things where we'll get an undersized guy out of position that that has talent, but only we end up seeing it. <laughs> we see the most undersized talent. And we see the most value from the undersized uh, guys that probably wouldn't get shot at a particularly large program because mm-hmm. of their size alone. Yeah. And we seem to give guys those chance, the Ben Minichs, the Salernos, the – you know, you go through the list, but 
one thing Marcus Freeman, I think, has found his groove with and his niche with is recruiting guys that play two ways. I think he's probably seen how the first year went and the success with Xavier Watts, the success with some of these guys being utilities like a Cam Hart uh, that, 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 that can turn around and play another position be good at it. He's like, we should make a whole team full of these guys. That way we'll always have depth and guys can be versatile and special teams and we can play as a stronger team, but you still need some specialized units, even the Army. Got the Green Berets. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, even the army got them, got them ghost recon groups that just is just very, very special. And it ain't many of them. So yeah, we build a, a stronger army, but we need to still make sure we got our special ops uh, down pat. So those of you that want to know what's going on with the offensive line, the first unit was Joe Alt, Billy Shroud, Zeke Carell, Andrew Christophe, and Blake Fisher, which is what we expected. Second group, Tosh Baker, Pat Coogan, Ashton Craig, Rocco Stindler, and Emil Wagner. Third group, Charles Jagasaw was the left tackle, Tyshan left guard, Joe Otting, Sam Pendleman, and Sullivan Absher, the freshman, rounding out that group. So I'm going to give a little back story on so Christopher Terry who was the last offensive lineman in the class of 24 left. He is 6'7", 312, bro. God. I'm going to say that again. Freshman. This man, this is Notre Dame, bro. You talk about, we can talk about the lack of weight for Notre Dame at the D-line. That, that's never been a problem at O-line. Dude. 
Charles Jagasaw left. You want to know his official stats? Six seven three thirty. As a freshman left. He's a freshman. Here's the backstory. So Charles Jagasaw had a difficult decision to make. It was, do, do I enroll early or do I defend my state national championship? He chose the latter. He wanted to defend his wrestling championship. He gets injured and injures his knee preparing for the season. But he injures his knee and is like a day too late to early enroll. Because mm. as soon as he injures his knee, he's like, yo, I might as well early enroll. Right. Right? Rehab down there. Be with the doctors. Be with the trainers. Man, hit the road running. He missed the day of the deadline about one day. Mm. So now he's working with Notre Dame, talking to their doctors, trying to get a plan, only to find out for whatever technicalities or reasons, the Notre Dame doctors ended up having to refer him to the Chicago Bears doctors. So, so instead of having his procedures done in South Bend, he was driving in from Rock Island to Chicago to have all his procedures done with the Chicago Bears doctors. Had his procedures done and they outsourced his rehab. So it was the Chicago Bears doctors and their people they were overlooking his rehab. Now, I remember I was one of the first people that found out about his knee injury. And I sent it up the line to Notre Dame to say, yo, CJ told me about this. Do you want us to keep this under wraps? Because nobody knew at this point. Right. So, made it, and CJ was like, I don't care. Like, you can tell. You can, you can say it. But I'm going back and forth with him, and he's like, man, now the Notre Dame doctors can't even, I can't even be with them. I can't early enroll. He was a little down, and he was giving me the prognosis on everything. They tell me, man, I won't be able to run for another three to four months, this, that, another. When I tell you he has blown through every deadline that was given to him. Mm. It was almost like him having to deal with the Bears doctors was a blessing in disguise for the procedures and the rehab. And he comes in 6, 7, 3, 30. From what I hear, Yo, this is not sloppy either. It wouldn't shock me if if Charles Jackson found his way in that lineup, bro. 
sometime during the season. Even if they even if they played him at guard. We've done it with O line before. We're not afraid to play young guys like yeah. Mike, early. Yeah. yeah. That big and, and, and all of that. It's just about getting healthy, big man. We're gonna roll you out there because I don't think Marcus Freeman is afraid to pull the trigger now that he's getting the total command of of the team the way he probably wants it to be. It is let me tell you something, man. When I saw that dude come in at six, seven, three, thirty, I'm like. What is this dude doing? Yeah. You talk about dedication, bro. And a kid that here's here's the exact conversation we had. This is from him. Back in April, left. This is from C Charles Jagasaw. He said, right now it's looking like I'm going to be limited until September or October. But with the work I'm doing now. I'm trying to get back by August. The doctors were telling him September, October. He took part in the first practice today at the start as a starting left tackle. And the reason why he had to come to Chicago and deal with the Bears surgeons, uh, Dr. Ragnan. Dr. Rackin, who is the surgeon in South Bend with the team, referred him to Chicago Bears uh, doctors that they work with because of the insurance clearance issue. Yeah. Whatever that means. I guess because, because he wasn't an active player, the Notre Dame insurance probably couldn't be used. Which sucks because, like I said, he missed being an early enrollee by one day. And they had to go through the insurance that they had. He ends up working with the Bears doctors and their people in the rehab. And he comes in at six To the Bears doctors, it's a great place to be. Well, as long as they didn't send him to the Chicago Bulls doctors, bro. Because the way they fix knees never work out. Lonzo had a special case, huh? Man, we Lonzo, Derek Rose, we can go down to listen knees that Chicago Bulls doctors have messed up or failed to diagnose. Hey, they almost killed Luau Dane. Giving, giving him a spinal tap. It's, I don't know what's up with the doctors they have. The Chicago Bears, though. Shout out to Chicago Bears today. Got updates from several of my guys in the media up there with big smiles saying uh, Justin Fields and DJ Moore. What's up with Chase? He on the inactive mm-hmm. list? No, nah, man. He was on the pup list, and they released him the next day. He practiced. Wait, you know, huh? pe- people just – the pup list basically means physically unable to perform. You can call no, they, they released him? No, no, no. They released him from the pup list. Oh, 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 okay, okay. okay. And, and he practiced. It's, it's, dude, 
People up here for some reason, man. He got traded for a second round pick. So now the spotlight is on him. I mean, oh, was he was he was he worth it? Like, dude, it's Chicago. Receivers come here to die. What are y'all talking about? Lucky Lucky Podcast. Come on, shout out Chase, man. Few, few more moments, man. Um Benjamin Morrison looked great today, of course. Of course. I, I like what Marcus Freeman said that Tobias Merriweather is playing with a little bit more gravitas. Yeah, because he's getting a chance. <laughs> Ooh, is that is it that simple, Love? It's crazy what happens when you actually put him on the field and see what happens, you know. Mm. He said he's playing with a little more gravitas. And I actually like that. I like to hear that. Gratitude. <laughs> And that might mean, hey, Tobias probably think probably thought he was a dude last year. He probably think always thought he was a dude. So hopefully that comes to fruition. We're gonna find out, man. Oh, we're definitely gonna find out. So that's starting five once again. Joe Alt, Billy Shroud, Zeke Carell, Andrew Christophic, and Blake Fisher. Rocco Stendler is definitely in the in the mix. Pat Coogan's in the mix. Emil Wagner. If that's your swing, Emil Wagner ends up being your swing guy just in case something happens to Alder Fisher. You should feel confident with that. You should feel confident with that. As I said, Jay Great, dude, Great House, Rico, Braden James. Dude, the size of these, the size and athleticism of these wide, these young wide receivers, bro. You talk about changing the culture of that quarterback room, Chancey Stuckey has changed the culture of that wide receiver room. That's right. He also pointed out one of the names we talked about yesterday. Who do we say in that secondary is going to be very important? And Marcus Freeman pointed him out. Like, yo, Clarence Lewis is going to do a lot for us this year, especially in the nickel. You gotta find that fourth corner. And he pointed out, like, hey, Christian Gray, you gotta get him ready. Yeah. Jay Mickey never had a confidence problem. He just struggled a little bit. This year, ready to go. Ryan Barnes, ready to go. I told you that secondary can be top 10. That's right. And I said it with confidence. That secondary can be top 10. And Clarence Lewis, as much as people have lamented, some of his play, man, he's going to be a very important cog for them in the versatility and the way they can use him. And it's hard, dude. Forget Thomas Harper. He's been hurt. I don't know. I don't know what you have in Thomas Harper. I don't know. Unfortunately, couldn't watch him this spring. That's right. Don't know. Cam Hart from the videos I've seen looks good, left. He looks good. He's healthy for the first time. He comes into fall camp fully healthy. Thank goodness. Man, and if man, you want to pray for someone's health, please pray for Cam Hart to make it through this camp 100% healthy. Because he's putting the work. And he deserves it, man. 
He really does. Somebody else, Deion Cozy, was said to have a good day. And Deion Cozy is about damn time. Excuse my French. This might be that now and never year for you at Notre Dame, bro. Yeah. It's a good time when that happens. Do or die time. Hey, it is what it is. It's do or die for you, my brother. Defensively, defensive line, look good. Youth, talent, movement. Seniors, look good. J.D. Bertrand, J.D. Bertrand is going to look good, man. You know why? He's a very smart kid. He knows what he's doing. The proof in the pudding for J.D. Bertrand is Saturdays. I don't need to see anything else from J.D. Bertrand on the practice field. That's right. Nothing. I don't want to see nothing from him in shorts. With pads, without pads, nothing. He knows the defense. He knows the cause. He can tell everybody what to do and what they need to do. I just need him to show up and do what he's supposed to do on Saturdays. That's it. That's it. I don't need a practice report on him. None of that. Go get the job done. Consistently. Go get your job done. Notre Dame is athletic, up front, D-line. Not really stout. As Jerron Jones said, looks like it's going to be a defensive line that's about movement. That's what they want. And if that's the case, man, you're going to have to keep the reps of Howard Cross at about 30 to 35. Let him be effective. And then hope your youngsters like Jason Anye, who has been the talk of the spring and continues to be the talk of the fall, 6'4", 294. Hopefully he's the perfect compliment. But that's day one, left. That's day one, Marcus Freeman. That's day one, camp. Yes. Marcus Freeman knows what he has. And this is what we said about KBA coming next year, right? Yep. People are like, yo, can he start as a freshman for what? I like the fact that he believes he can start as a freshman. He should. I want him to come in as a dog. But he has two dogs in front of him in the freshman class. He has another dog in Jalen Sneed and Nolan Ziggler. That's been pointed out by the head coach. Like, hey, I Marcus Freeman is like, yo, I know they can go. That's basically what he said today. I know our youngsters can go. I know our youngsters can go. But they gotta know what the heck they do. And coaches, it's your job to get them ready. Don't right. Throw the gauntlet down. Throw it down. We got young dudes that can go. We got young dudes all over this field that move differently. Get them on the field. Get them on the field. I don't care if it's situational. I don't care what it is. 
Get them on the field. Like you said, love, how many situations could they have created for Tobias Merriweather last year? Yeah. You know, he doesn't need to hold it, know the entire playbook. Create a situation for him. Five five plays a game. It ain't it's not that hard. Not that hard. Five times a game. This is the Tobias package. <laughs> five man, whatever time. This is the Jalen Nolan Ziegler package on defense. This is it. You better believe it's a Christian Gray package. You better believe it. It's a plan. And the strength of Al Golden, as we were told when he first got the job, was situational football. Okay. Create the situations. Create the situations. Because we're telling you, Notre Dame fans, you got a field full of youngsters that move differently than what has been seen on Notre Dame football fields. And that's good. Mike Goosby played the position. He watched his field. Hey, if he says KBA is going to start as a freshman, Drake Bowen don't give a darn about what Mike Goosby's saying. Right. And neither does Jay Nosberry. They don't give a darn. But I love the linebacker room because you got a bunch of dogs coming into that room. A bunch of them. A bunch of them left. I'm hyped, boy. I'm hyped. I can't wait to get down here. Like I said, I couldn't go today. The next full practice, I think, is like in another seven days or something like that. They got the cookout with the kids coming in this weekend. That should be exciting. Man. Good stuff down the head. Man, bro, when's the last time y'all receiving core had like everybody over 200? Never. We was fighting the game weight at receiver. That's crazy. Corey, Chris Brown, Tory, Corey Holmes. Everybody was fighting the game weight. Will. Man. These dudes just naturally. You can say one thing about Matt Bayless, boy. He might not have been comfortable, but these freshmen, they right. You see Armel Mookum coming in at 280, coming off the edge. Don't look serious. Man, look here. Let me ask you a question. 
Did Jamie Smith know what he was doing on the football field, bro? Yeah, he just. Cause you you would tell me stories about how he would he would miss the play, but he was so good just physically. Just some guys are just him, and then there's some guys that you know, like those rappers. Some rappers can put out their first music and it's just hot. It's just, mm. Some dudes work all their life on music and can't get a number one, you know. So and be man, be technically sound. Yeah, everything good, good everything good. Just it's just it's not a Drake song, you know. That's what it is. Jalen Smith just everything was just fire. Like he just did everything good. He just like damn. Miss assignment and still make a play. Still cover it up. You think the tight end is open? You throw the ball. It just it just was rare that you wouldn't know if he messed up or not because he was just good. He was just like, damn. So that's like Will. Yeah. Yeah, he dropped some passes here and there, you know. Couldn't catch Diggs. Still can't catch Diggs. But, I mean, what, was, what was it with Will in the dig route, man? Because the dig route was a route that he could have took to the house. See, the guy just was like, we can't get you everything. Can't get you everything. We can get you the deep ball, get you everything else. Just can't let you catch Diggs. Because then you'd be unfair. It just be unfair. Something else on the way out that I'll give you an opportunity to answer to that was part of leftovers. Someone questioned your take saying that KV, they said KVA was the best player on his team. Yeah, right. When they couldn't understand what you were saying about yeah. him. And he wasn't in the group of linebackers that I saw. And you, being a coach out in California, an opportunity to actually play against during camps and to watch them play at St. John Bosco, which is pretty much a factory. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, kids there, it's like you getting offers off of standing next to the dude getting offers. It's just they have recruiting dinners where they just invite all the college coaches and they just sit in dinner and watch film with the players there. So it's like, well, it's like a big auction. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. Man, it's crazy because this year they play St. Thomas Aquinas, Marta Day, Servite, Santa Margarita. They play Miami Norland too. Yes, they do. <clears throat> they do have other talented players. On their roster, that people that Notre Dame is not recruiting, that are going to schools like USC and other great programs. 
They have a top, they have what? Five star offensive lineman, another D lineman, another linebacker. Okay. Yeah. Yep. They're good. Yeah, I think they're better than a one-man show. I'll say that. They are a program, and he's just another talented player to come through that program. Yeah, man, it's like hit or miss with those things because everybody's good. So what do you do? So we gave you a mega show. We talked Marcus Freeman. We talked the first day, what we heard coming out of the camp after one practice. <clears throat> Jerron Jones previewed the D-line, talked about what he's seen, what they're being asked to do, what they want to do. Had some more great conversation at the start, man. I forgot to ask him who he had with the Spence fight because I know he's a huge boxing fan. But I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he's going Spence. You still not putting no money on it? No, brother. I think I wouldn't bet your money on this fight. Wow. Nope. You think it'll be a knockout, or you think it's gonna go twelve? No, nah, I just don't trust it. It's too. No, I don't have confidence either way. I just don't. Damn. They too good, bro. They too good. Too good. It is very reminiscent, not because I would never put Crawford. He's much better than what Sugar Ray Leonard was going into the Hagler fight. Sugar Ray Leonard was coming off retina surgery, many retirement, you know, battles against Duran and Hearns. Yeah, he had been through wars. Crawford is a much better fighter at this point in his career <laughs> than Sugar Ray Leonard was. But what Sugar Ray Leonard was going into that Hagler fight, I mean, into that Hagler fight was more, more athletic, faster, and a better boxer and thinker in the ring than Hagler. Hagler was a machine. He just like Spence. Here I am. I'm coming. 15 rounds. And Ray outsmarted him and outboxed him. All he had to do was he only had to do it one night. He didn't have to beat him. It wasn't two two out of yeah, three. Yeah, not an NBA series, right? No, for one night, Crawford has to come up with a game plan and handle the punishment that he's going to face. That's it. That's, that's it. it. That's how. That's how easy and that's hard. It. Time. That's all he had to do. Both of these dudes can go to sleep. Man, it's so disrespectful of people. Dude, he could not, he could not Sean Port out. It's a bunch of people. He could knock out. Who was the uh the the fighter he fought, the, the smaller fighter he fought in uh Cowboy Stadium? Oh uh, man, the, uh, the Mexican fighter. What Mexican is Mexican dude. Uh, the, yeah, the, the uh, he's good though. Yeah, and everybody was like, "Oh, Spence is gonna walk through him and knock him out." He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. The dude was tough. No, you know why? 
Because the other man has something to do with what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's just they're going in there fighting dummies or something. Yeah, so people are like, oh, he's just going to walk through Crawford. Based on what? That dude ain't facing a punk. That's another dog. Yeah, really. It's just you like the other dude better. That's all it is. Yeah, it's another dog. And it's a fight where I look. If the best Crawford shows up, it's going to be a problem for Spence. Yeah. Doesn't mean that Spence can't win, but it's going to be the toughest fight of his life. <laughs> and if y'all think, just listen to Spence talk about the fight. He knows that. Yeah, Spence is like, yeah, this is going to be dog versus dog. We're going to go test each other's will. He ain't in there talking like, yeah, I'm about to go crush him because he knows he's not. He knows he's not. He got these fans out here. Oh, he's just going to walk. Man, please, you better listen to the man himself. Hell, Bud Crawford is talking spicier. He like, yeah, I'm going to get him. Both of these dudes, yeah. Both of these dudes know. They walking into landmines, bro. Yeah. It's landmines. They're going to get hit. It's landmines all over that ring on Saturday night. At any point, they know. They know. That's why they both put that that clause in there for their rematch. Because <laughs> they both know it can happen. Yeah. Or, uh, it like, can happen. Unintentionally. Like just yeah. one, just, oh, you got a good hit. That's just a good hit. You know why? Because dude is good. Yeah, do they both? <laughs> they both know dude is a dog. Dude is a dog. They can catch me one and it just be what it is. No. Know? They know. And they fought the same dudes. Yeah, Sean Porter. They both fought Sean Porter. And Crawford knocked his tail out. Spence couldn't do it. They both demolished Kale Brooks. It is, yo, this is the fight that you rarely get in boxing. Nowadays, everybody ducking, yeah. Everybody's ducking. This is that fight, bro. They both in their primes. It's time. So you name me the last fight like this, this huge. Well, you saw somebody just walk over somebody, bro. Yeah, never. That's not happening with two dogs. Just imagine being the guy they both talking about. I knocked him. I knocked Sean. You Sean Porter. They both talking about how they beat you. <laughs> Man. You didn't do nothing to Sean Porter like I did to him. And this is a crazy thing. I think like in the middle of the fight, like the sixth, sixth round, I think Sean Porter was ahead officially on the cards against Crawford. Mm. Don't matter. And Crawford just walked him down the next three rounds, bro. <laughs> just walked him down. It, man, let me tell you something, man. I would gladly pay this $100 this weekend. Mm -hmm. Gladly. You said you can't, go, you can't go see this fight around nobody else. Huh? No. And this is why I am happy. I'm extremely happy 
to pay the $100 and watch it, man. And that's why I said I can't even bet on this fight. Because just like any other sport, it's not even about you, bro. Not even about you. The man opposite you has something to do with it. Because mm-hmm. Spence could be the best. But Spence ain't never fought nobody that's good. He never fought nobody that's good. Yeah. He's never fought. So your best is going up a different going up against a totally different opponent than has ever faced. Yeah. So not only does Crawford have to prove how he responds, Errol Spence has to prove how he responds to that level of competition. It's the peak for both of them. Man, bro. It is. It's one this gonna be one of the greatest joys ever, bro. That's, <laughs> real. It's gonna be one of the greatest joys ever. I truly believe that. I truly believe they're gonna give us a classic. I don't care if it's two rounds, three rounds, <laughs> six rounds, uh, ten rounds. It need to be longer than two rounds, y'all. Hey, well, you can have a three, you can have a two-round classic where they come out in the middle of the ring and just go at it. Go at it, yeah. And somebody just gets caught. Or you can have a man, a 12-round classic that goes to the cards, and we sit up here and debate that Monday morning on Lucky Lefty, like, hey, yo, did you see that? This fight gonna bring Broxon back. It's gonna take a little more. It's gonna take a little more. Because then Shakur and Tank Davis gotta fight. No, Shakur, Shakur doesn't need to go after Tank right now. Not right now. See, Devin Haney's a chunk. Oh, we but we know that. We Devin know that. Haney's a chunk. Uh, Devin Haney, you don't you don't show up to Shakur's fight. Call him out. And then when he comes to your fight to say, okay, a fight that you lost in the eyes of a lot of people. Lomachenko. Mm. A lot of people had Lomachenko winning that fight. That's right. He comes to your fight like you did him, respectfully says, yo, you ready? Let's yeah, do this. Yeah, I want it. And now you running? Yeah, he was running. Why was he running though? Now you running from the fight for what? For what? Why is he running? Because Lomachenko showed him he wasn't as good as he thought he was. That's what happened. That's what happened. That's what that old man was like. Hey, I got something for you. That's right. Now he's trying to save himself, talking about, oh, I'm moving up and wait. To who? <laughs> I hope you're not going out the tank. I, oh my lord! And tank fresh off that thirty days too. <laughs> you saw what his hair unbraided when he came out. Oh, yeah, tank. No tank, 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 tank was in the yard lifting, getting his mind right. Devin Haney, you don't want tank right now. <laughs> you don't want it. I'll tell you the money fight for Devin Haney. Joshua, uh, uh, Ryan Garcia, right Ryan now, Garcia, yeah, right now. You got to do it right now, though. Get him right now, 
coming off a loss. Go get him right now. Name still hot. He and Errol Spence's camp too now with Derrick James. Go get him right now. But you're too scared. <laughs> Teddy too scared. You and your daddy ain't gonna do that. <laughs> too scared. They're too scared. Hey man, this is gonna be a great weekend for fighting, dude. Uh-huh. Nobody wants anything to do with Ennis. They running from Ennis. <laughs> running from Ennis. Running uh, from him, bro. They running from the Carlo twins too. Man, that little what's his last name? The NU kid. The knockout he just put on your boy the other day. He's coming too. He's right. about to move up. Y'all better watch this. Man, boxing has a ton. Boxing is almost like Notre Dame. They have a bunch of talent. They just can't seem to put it together. They seem to put it together. There's a bunch of talent running around in boxing. Bunch of great fights. Bunch of great fights that can be made. And see that whole Manny, that whole Manny uh Floyd thing, it look, they juiced y'all for the biggest purse, and y'all don't even realize that. But let me tell you why. Manny Pacquiao, by the time he was ready for Floyd, had already lost four to five fights. Danny Pacquiao was never going to be in the same class as Floyd Mayweather, man. Stop it. He never was. And Floyd knew it. But they juiced the public until they built it up enough where the public was like, yo, you got to have it. Do you? Did you see the check that Floyd got after that fight, bro? How much was it? And see, this is the problem. People saying Prime Manny would have had a shot. A shot at what? <laughs> a shot at what? Y'all acting like Prime Manny would not have been Prime Floyd. Because the Floyd, the Floyd that beat him was not Prime Floyd. Right. Oh, Prime Manny would have had a shot. Prime Manny was knocked out by Marquez on his face. You would have never seen Floyd laying on his face in a fight, ever. <laughs> what do you say, ever? Ever. Man, look. Y'all fell in love with a dude, and see, let's keep it a buck. Y'all fell in love with a dude that was on steroids. It was openly known in boxing he was on steroids. That dude went from a, a low average fighter to all of a sudden this dude's hands moving as fast as Fred Flintstone's feet moving on that Flintstone's car. And all of a sudden that, that came from the, the training of Freddie Roach. Man, get real. As much as y'all fell in love with Sosa and McGuire knowing what the heck was happening, that's just how y'all fell in love with Manny Pacquiao. And you knew what was happening. 
All the boxing knew what was happening, but he made money and they didn't care. So everyone turned a blind eye. <laughs> Everybody. Tell them, Everybody turned up. If y'all just, if you don't want to admit it, that's fine. Hey, I don't care about what Sammy Sosa and McGuire put in their arms. They gave me one of the greatest summers of baseball. <laughs> I care less. It's not for me to adjudicate that. It's not. And I didn't mind Manny either, because it wasn't for me to adjudicate that. But Floyd ain't stupid. <laughs> Floyd knew what the heck was going on. And Floyd wasn't walking into that trap unless the money was going to be at a certain level. Yeah. And he juiced it until it got to that level. And if that happened to be non-prime Manny, that's on Manny. That's on Manny. Floyd was not about to be the idiot for his sideshow. He wasn't. Floyd, this guy Floyd walk in with, with Canelo and his prime. Bigger than him and embarrassed this dude. Y'all worried about Manny Pacquiao? Get the heck out of here. Floyd, it, prime, prime Floyd would have had a game plan for Manny Pacquiao just like he had for anybody else. He just was not about to be a part of that. And the way, I, the way he did it, Floyd never hated on Manny's hustle. He never hated on Manny's he hustle. He never hated on his hustle. No. He let him build because yep. he knew eventually what Manny built was going to make him money. Make him money. Because he knew he's the better fighter. That's it. I still believe Floyd's never taken a fight he didn't think he was going to win. Dude. That's about you. There was one fight at one time that I thought was coming down the pipe. And it was the other fighter. And people are probably going to be shocked when I say this. At one time, I thought Felix Trinidad would be a tough fight for Floyd. Really? I really did. Didn't I really he, did. Floyd, didn't Floyd acknowledge uh, Didn't he acknowledge him as one of the toughest fighters? When Felix, well, Oscar De La Hoya is just soft. That's why he ended up losing that fight to Felix, because he outclassed Felix for the vast majority of the fight. And then Felix just more in the later rounds. But early Felix Trinidad, yeah, I think Felix eventually uh, was overrated, especially man, especially after that boxing lesson Bernard Hopkins gave him, bro. <laughs> man, Bernard Hopkins just broke that dude down. Yeah. He was never the same after that. But early Felix, with that speed and that power, I was like, ooh. Ooh. If him and Floyd end up meeting, I was like, yo, he might be a problem. 
But yeah, he did have stiff legs, and Bernard Hopkins just took him to school. <laughs> that cat Bernard took him to school. Yeah, put it on him, didn't he? Man. But Styles make fights, man. And it's just tough. Floyd has so many answers. And the one thing everybody says, Floyd can't punch. Floyd can't punch. He punches enough to bag people up. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. He hits hard enough where people get hit and they say, oh, snap. I don't just want to walk in. Yeah, when he does throw, he be, he hits you with something. Now. Exactly. So, man, you can say what you want to say. And I'm not sitting up here saying I'm going to make Floyd my all-time greatest. I, I I would struggle to put Floyd above Muhammad Ali, me personally. Really? Just because, of, dude, Muhammad Ali, bruh, it's one thing to hear it, but it's one thing to go and watch his three fights with Joe Lewis. I mean, not with Joe Lewis, but with, with uh. Joe Frazier, then to watch him just take apart that rumble in the jungle. You talk about somebody taking somebody to school. Mm. And just the way he beat Sonny, listen, in the first fight, bro, Olympian, and just. And then he took chances, bro. That's something I would say. He was more willing to take chances than Floyd was. But those same chances kind of dampered the end tale of Muhammad Ali's career. Well, the end, the end was just him needing money. <laughs> Which is what I, I look, I applaud Floyd at the beginning of his career, taking the chance on himself to save his money to be able to buy himself out of the Bob Aaron contract. And control his destiny. Starting with that Oscar De La Hoya fight. But the era that, that the boxers in this in this day and age left are scared of that right column. Oh yeah. Well, you know you, you know what that means? They scared of that loss record. They scared to get that one. Dudes back in the day, they weren't scared of that one. But dudes fought all the time back in the day, too. Yes. It was a different business as well. That one maybe didn't hurt the business as much back then as it does now. Maybe. Uh It, it is what it is, man. It's just a different day. Different day. And it's hard to compare players from different eras. The rules were different. The way the game was played was different. And um, I think there's an argument for someone to say Sugar Ray is better than Floyd. Really? You lined up the top five wins in Sugar Ray's career compared to Floyd's top five. It's not even close. 
But that's the same argument that you would use, like, with LeBron. You know, LeBron's got 20 years in the league, but I'm sure his best five games, you could compare to somebody who has who's had a shorter run like a T-Mac in his best five games. You know? Well, what I'm saying is you can't fault Floyd for who he had to go up against. That's who was in, that's He fought whoever was in front of him in his era. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's not his fault. I'm just saying for people that will sit up and say, yo, Sugar Ray, five-weight division champion, pound for pound for however many years, and the dude beat Durant twice, Hearns, Hearns twice, Hagler, Wilfred Benitez, Who's the dude when he beat him? Like, bro, you talking about this dude beat like flat out like six, seven Hall of Famers in their prime. In their prime. Floyd, unfortunately, his resume, he can't, he he can't compare with that. And the era was different. And 50 losses just, I mean, 50 wins over zero losses just a feat. That's like the scoring title. Man. Like, yeah. Nathan, have a great day. We did two hours on Notre Dame. Bounce. You don't have to come back. It's, it's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous when you look at what he was able to do. You know, and that is the great debate of just the sweet science. That's why people get upset with Floyd. I don't get upset with Floyd. When he explains why he did everything, the object of boxing is not to get hit. That's what I built my entire game plan around. DBZ, you know how we are, dude. That's right. People want to be clowns. Let them be clowns, man. You know, I was reminded why I don't live. No, you, you shouldn't have been reminded. If you left once, you should have stayed gone. Period. We gave you two hours of Notre Dame football. We want to sit here and talk about one of the biggest fights coming up in the history of boxing. History of boxing. It's your clown tail out of big. Get your big goofy self out of here. And hey, there's still 130 people in here that are interested. Yeah. They watching that fight too this weekend. Man. I don't know, man. Protect your money on this one, people. Yeah. Not a fight to bet on for sure. Man. Please. Protect your money on this one. Or, or try to hedge it. Right? Just try to prop it. Like, say it's going to be put your money on a decision. Or put your money on a late round stoppage or something. Something that's kind of sensible. Not on right? So you still rolling with Spence, right? I just think 
but the, from a storyline perspective, Bud is the the more attractive uh, pick, just because even though he's has more victories, more knockouts, yeah, they not giving him the credit like they giving Spence, you know, in 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 the media's perspective. Well, like Spence said on the pivot, he is he's the big dog. He is the big on dog. the on the business side. He's the right. he's the big dog on the business side. He draws more pay-per-views. He draws more people to the fight. He's shown that. So, uh, like I said, man, that's the great thing with boxing, sports like tennis, what we saw in that incredible final, men's final at Wimbledon. As, as cold as Djokovic was, Djokovic was a machine walking through that Wimbledon tournament, bro. But that 19 year old woke up that morning and said, This is going to be the best dude he's played all tournament. He said, I'm better today. Yes. Let's see who, let's see how he responds to me today. Yeah. Because I I have a good orange juice and cereal. The strawberries and cream. Yeah. I'm ready to go today. He's going to have a problem on his hands. Absolutely. And for that day, and for that day, Djokovic couldn't respond. He couldn't hit that button. That's it. And like double down, see, this is the common thought process. You know, I think Spence breaks him down to the body and stops him late. Who who says Spence is not taking body shots from Bud early? See, see, this is the problem. This is the problem. Bud punches to the body too. Spence has a body too. Which is why I say, this is just not, you just can't throw Spence's game plan he always uses out there like, oh, this is going to work? What did Mike Tyson say? Everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. That's right. We have to see how Spence reacts to possibly not having the same gas in the tank late in the fight as he's used to. Because he's taking a little bit more. He's getting hit a little bit more than he normally does. That's why I say this is another dude. This is another dog in the ring. Spence, he's just not, he's not outclassed. Spence outclasses everybody he's fought thus far. Period. Period. That's why it, dude, like, yeah, Spence hits hard. Crawford hits harder than anybody Spence faces as well. And he's faster than anybody Spence's face. Like I said. He might be more athletic than Spence. People act like Crawford ain't going to have nothing to do. Like Spence can go in there and do whatever he wants on Saturday night. That's not the way it goes. Spence this ain't play, PlayStation 5, dude. It's grown man. It's two dogs. This man is telling, Errol Spence is telling you he has to be at his best. He knows what's coming. Please don't be mystified if you look up in the middle of the fight and Crawford is handling this dude. 
right? Because usually Spence takes his time, right, love? His he takes his time. Is, his clock is going to be sped up so much more. He takes his time, gonna, exactly. He's going to have to acknowledge Bud's offense at some point. At some point. Oh, Jason Smith, I was playing um, 2K23, PGA 2K23. Uh, I just played a couple of rounds last night. Uh, I'm on my second season with my player. Uh, I lost the player championship, dude, at the end of my first season. I was upset. But I'm leading the FedEx Cup standards in my second season. That's right. I just won Tory Pines. I forget the next tournament. Ivan, that's an interesting question. Is Chris Tyreek the fastest on the team still? Uh, man. Talking about Jeremiah Love. You don't know. Bro, the way they talking about Jeremiah Love. Hell, Jadarian Price fastest. And this is a good point, ED3. We have been so impressed with Errol Spence's return after that tragic accident. At, at what point does his body not give him the best? You understand what I'm saying, love? At some point, Errol Spence is going to show up one night and everything is not the same. I think he'll know after this fight. You might be right. He'll know exactly where he is after this fight. Because, I mean, for both guys, where do you go after this, regardless of winner or loser? You know? And see, that's the danger of, like, mano a mano. Because there are certain nights you show up on the basketball court and you don't have it, but you got teammates. You got teammates. And Errol Spence has stared death in the face and still been able to come back and give performance after performance after performance after performance. And how many more of those great performances does he have? How much more does he have in him? You know, we'll, we'll, we don't know. Only his creator and, and and he can answer that. He looks good. Looks in great shape. But they have Bud Crawford as a hungry dude. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Like Bud. And you, you can see Arrow, like, really now he's getting into the whole promotion game. You know, he's promoting Frank Martin. Right. I think he's going to be involved with Ryan Garcia's next promotions and some type of partnership from what I've been reading. You, Arrow Spence is already, like, turning the wheels. Turning the wheels outside of boxing. You know what I'm saying? And Bud is still in the midst of. Trying to be the best. Being that hungry dude. Yeah. You, 
And that hunger plays into it. Could bro. play a major part on Saturday night. I gotta go to practice, Sean, but I'm gonna get back on. Man, go ahead. Man, go ahead. You know, I'm talking boxing, bro. I'm here as long as I'm hyped about this fight. So I, I talk boxing. Whatever you guys want to talk, I'll give you another. I know uh, Brian Driscoll and Vince D'Addario are live in about another hour and a half with their practice report. Uh, had an opportunity. Haven't had an opportunity to talk to B. Driss yet, but I will do that. And um, I'm going to pose some questions. But like I said, you know, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll have some clips of the Freeman press conference, some more intel, really get into things. It's day one. It's day one. So we're spreading this out uh, full coverage today, full practice. We don't have much. The next three days, we get to do the stretches and cover the stretches and some up warm-ups. We won't be able to see the full practice. Uh, then a big recruiting weekend. And then I believe the next full practice we have is maybe another 10 days from now. So that will be the next major practice report. I will be on the scene. I wasn't able to make it down there today. I will be there for that. And I think we have one more before the season starts that might be towards the end, like maybe seven days before they break camp or something like that. So you're going to get three major look-in, look-ins to Notre Dame practices. Um, so lock in with us. Lock in with Irish Breakdown. Vince and Brian Driscoll were both at practice. Vince does a great job watching the line play. So I'm sure Vince is going to be able to break down the offensive line, defensive line, uh, quarter, quarterback is quarterback. Notre Dame has a leader, Sam Hartman. His leadership, I'm sure he looked great. We're going to talk about that on Irish Breakdown. And some other stuff. So they're going at 5 o'clock Eastern, which is another hour and a half from now. Man, I'll uh, I'll talk for another five minutes. You guys have any questions about we talk, what we talked about, about the first practice, about Marcus Freeman, boxing, anything. Uh, yeah, Crawford is from, uh, I think, Omaha, Nebraska. He's a huge Nebraska Cornhusker fan. So I think he's from Omaha, Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's from Omaha, Nebraska. Um, but look, like I said, Errol has already turned the page. He's starting to think the business, promotion, life after. He's planning because he can see things are coming to an end. And I do believe Bud Crawford is like he... Bud Crawford wants to get, because Errol has never had to sweat. This is the beautiful thing about Errol. In order to make huge fights, he has never had to sweat Las Vegas. Because he's always had Jerry Jones in that huge stadium in his back pocket. So Errol has been able to recover from the accident, stay home, come out of the accident, the first fight, and pack. 100,000 into Cowboys Stadium. That's a blessing in the boxing game, man. 
That's a huge blessing from the business side. Huge, huge blessing from the boxing side. That doesn't happen. But it's still trying to get to Vegas. Because Nebraska ain't it. The fact that Bud is getting 20000 in Nebraska says a lot. That says a whole lot. That he's getting 20000 $30,000 to come out to a fight in Nebraska. That says a lot. That he's getting pay-per-view numbers in Nebraska. That says a lot. But Bud is shooting for Vegas. He has to get to Vegas. And this fight can be that takeoff for him to get to Vegas, man. Get five, four or five more fights in Vegas, make that money, and now we can start thinking about his transition in life. It is it's an absolutely amazing opportunity and a crossroads for both fighters, in my opinion, for their careers. They know they know how huge it is for both of them. Personally, legacy-wise, business-wise, future, they know it's a huge fight. I was just mad that they didn't give us like an episode of All Access. I think the next, the next episode is like post-fight. And I'm like, no, oh, man. Give me the league up. Give me the league up. So like I said, great show today. I appreciate you guys. Podcast will be dropping later on tonight. And we'll back. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., man. We're really going to dig some more into the Marcus Freeman press conference. Some other things he said, some more intel. Like you said, an hour and a half Irish breakdown with Vince and Brian Driscoll, who are both at the practice. <clears throat> I'm sure they'll give you some insight to certain things. And uh, yeah, that's that, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. But don't forget, make sure you spend it different. <laughs>